Imagine Freedom is brought to you by the Survive and Thrive Advocacy Center in Tallahassee, Florida. If you suspect trafficking or need help, call the National Human Trafficking Hotline 24 hours a day, 365 days a year at 1-888-373-7888 or visit humantraffickinghotline.org. This episode may contain content related to human trafficking and trauma that is sensitive to some ears. A lot of survivors don't identify, you know, as trafficking victims per se. Um, You know, we see people coming through domestic violence shelters. Um, We see people, you know, going through, you know, shelters for um, homeless populations. So... Trafficking isn't just this one thing. It's really interconnected with all these other uh, social issues. Um, And to really effectively combat trafficking, you have to look at, you know, these other social issues and where do they intersect. I'm Robin Hassler-Thompson, the Executive Director of the Survive and Thrive Advocacy Center. And it's my pleasure to host these important discussions with survivors of human trafficking. Their insights help all of us to fortify our communities against the often misunderstood realities of sex and labor trafficking. Please join us as we listen to what they have to say so that we can imagine freedom as a reality for all. Today, we imagine freedom with Jamie Rosland. Jamie is a lived experience expert on the topic of human trafficking, and she brings a wealth of knowledge, compassion, and incisive analysis to our conversation. And we go deep to examine the context of how traffickers target people, especially youth, and what we can do. Jamie is one of several survivor experts who consults with Stack and grounds our work. Hello, Jamie Rosalind, and welcome to the Imagine Freedom podcast. It's so good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It's so good to see you, Robin. I'm really happy to be here today and have this conversation with you. Yeah, we've been working together for a while, Jamie. And I just have to tell you, you've been so important to our work and have really helped take the Survive and Thrive Advocacy Center, or STAC, uh, to another level. Um, I want to say another plateau and also deeper. So uh, let me just say thank you to that to you for that right off the top. and um, But let's talk now more about who you are and what you do and and see where we can go with our conversation today. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, so I'm going to start off and just tell you I was doing my prep and saw you on LinkedIn and loved what you have there. You um, talk about that you are a nonprofit consultant, that you are a human trafficking subject matter expert, and that you are a lover of creative expression. And I feel like that is a really wonderful way to talk about you because you've, you've, your part, your life now is so uh, integrated, I think, in building on the wonderful skills that you have, um, which is what you've brought to the table with us at Stack. Um, so tell us more about you. Tell us about your work, your time off, what you do for fun. Um, Tell us about you. Yeah. So professionally, um, I really enjoy working with nonprofits, mostly in the anti-trafficking arena. Uh, I 
really love working with agencies to help them become more survivor-centered, more survivor-focused, um, and helping them integrate new technologies into what they're doing. Um, you know, innovative practices such as digital marketing. You know, how can we reach you know this population that people talk about is so difficult to reach? And you know, with the COVID nineteen pandemic, um, this idea of you know, digital outreach through social media has become more mainstream. It's something I was really passionate, you know, pre-COVID. The pandemic has really, you know, helped people see the importance of reaching out to people, you know, online. For me, it's all about working with nonprofits that I feel really strongly are doing good work in the communities um, and helping those organizations really, like you said, like come coming to a more fuller expression of who they are and help them become even better than they already are. And um, the Survive and Thrive Advocacy Center has really been one of the agencies I just love working with. Oh, we love you. Um, so it's so great to to hear that. And I, you know, I, I also have noticed since we've been working together as you do your consultant work that Part of that work, it's it's not necessarily all quote anti-trafficking agencies, right? Because because this issue is so prevalent around our communities and our world, we really need people who are subject matter experts, lived experience experts in particular too, to be everywhere, right? Yeah. So my degree is in interdisciplinary social science, and so I have a really interdisciplinary way of thinking. And human trafficking services are great, but a lot of survivors don't identify, you know, as trafficking victims per se. Um, you know, we see people come in through domestic violence shelters. Um, we see people, um, you know, going through, um, you know, shelters for um, homeless populations. So, you know, trafficking isn't just this one thing. It's really interconnected with all these other uh, social issues um, and to really effectively combat trafficking, you have to look at, you know, these other social issues and where do they intersect? Tell us a little bit more about, about some of your adventures. Yeah, I really love to travel. Um, for me, Florida's home, but Florida is absolutely too flat um, I really enjoy mountains and hiking. And sometimes that means, you know, quick trip up um, into the Blue Ridge Mountains, or it means, you know, going out to Colorado and doing a backcountry um, hiking trip or, you know, heading off to Alaska. You know, the next trip that I have planned is Iceland. And that's, you know, just a wonderful place to be out in nature um, and really take in the outdoors part of healing and well-being for me is is wrapped up in nature um, and so just taking time you know to experience awe to experience just how incredibly beautiful this world is especially when a lot of my work is wrapped up in how incredibly unbeautiful the world can be um, so just taking the, that time and, you know, connecting with nature, being outside, experiencing what my body is capable of, you know, in, you know, climbing mountains. You know, I think one of my biggest accomplishments was um, hiking up to a 13,000 foot mountain. That's in Utah. That's a that's a big deal. And, you know, I never thought I would be capable of that, especially 
you know, being in Florida where I think the highest elevation is like around 50 feet at Mount Dora. So. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> One thing I, you know, hurts at it. I, I like it and I can adopt it for this is feeling like right sized. And so you just get to see how big and expansive the world is. And not that it makes me feel small, but it makes me feel like there's so much possibility um, and there's so much hope. Like this is the bigness of what's possible. I think that's really, that's really beautiful. And it makes me feel powerful being out there um, and being amongst, you know, that bigness and that, that just incredibleness. Thank you. And I think what I'd like to also tell you is, and it makes more sense than ever now, is that you bring such a balanced and calming and common sense perspective to the anti-trafficking work that we've been doing together. I appreciate how you help ground us and you're, you know, just a wonderful editor and writer. Um, Let's talk a little bit about this issue and really... I think when I told you we were starting this podcast, we really want to think about how we can expand everyone's understanding about what trafficking is and really importantly, what it isn't, because we are seeing a lot of sensationalizing. We're seeing sometimes people who are maybe uh, being trafficked, sex or labor trafficked now, not understanding that it's even happening because of some of the misinformation that gets out there, whether it's through movies and TV or whether it's just that journalists and even service providers don't understand what it is. So wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think there's a ton of uh, misinformation about trafficking out there. And I think there is for the general population and even people working in the field you know, have difficulty really identifying what it looks like. Um, I think some, you know, classic examples are the movie Taken. You know, there's been a documentary that came out recently that that really kind of distorts things. Um, there's movements online, um, on social media, especially in like 2020, 2021, the Save the Children campaign spread a lot of misinformation. And I want to talk a little bit more about that. I, I think most recently is on TikTok is these videos of, you know, something being tied to a door handle or in a windshield in a parking lot, and that being an indicator that someone's trying to traffic you. These are all things that, you know, I'd be remiss in saying that, like, that could never happen. But this is not the most common way that trafficking, early, specifically sex trafficking, happen. It makes it difficult. It makes it difficult for people who are experiencing trafficking, people who have experienced trafficking have gotten out, for service providers, for the the general public to really understand what this crime and what this violence actually looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like it just happens all the time. Like I was doing an interview the other day and someone talked about the, the putting things on door handles and asked me about it. And I had never heard that as a thing. And I it just completely took me aback because that person was saying, I know I can protect myself because I, if I see this sign, then I will steer clear, right? So we know there's a lot of misinformation out there. So my question is when you 
think about the misinformation? How do you counter it? And what is the truth? Yeah, I think you said something that like really resonated with me too. Like what is the root of misinformation? And I think you hit on it is, you know, this person that you were speaking with, they wanted to have this idea of this is how I can avoid this thing from happening to me. And if I know the rules and I know what to look out for, then I could never be trafficked. Right. And that's called the just world hypothesis. So if, you know, someone steals a wallet, then, you know, a person might say, well, you should have had your wallet in the other pocket. Or if a tree branch falls on your car, then someone might say, well, you should have parked not under a tree branch. Right. But it's this idea that the world can be a really scary place. And psychologically, as like human beings, we want to know that if we make the right choices and the right decisions, then we can avoid harm. I think that's like the root of a lot of the sensationalism is if I just know not to do these things and to do these things and I can avoid being trafficked and it couldn't happen to me and it couldn't happen to anyone I know. And that's also a little bit at the root of victim blaming. Um, and you see it in, you know, rape culture where, yes. you know, well, she shouldn't have been wearing that or she shouldn't have been drinking or, you know, she should have been more careful about the the guy she dated. And it's people in, you know, men and women and people of all genders being like, well, if I just, you know, wear something buttoned up all the way to my neck and I never go to parties and, you know, I never have fun, then I can avoid all of these things. And it's people not wanting to take also accountability for how they contribute to, um, to violence in the community or how inaction, you know, contributes to. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I, wow, that was a lot. That was a lot. So, okay. So let's try to take some of that um, piece by piece and think a little bit about it because absolutely when, when there's that sense of if I do X, then Y will not happen to me. Let's talk just basics. How does human trafficking happen? Who does it happen to? And what are some of the myths about who it happens to and how it happens um, that we can debunk right now? Yeah. So I want to start with trafficking can happen to anyone of mm -hmm. any gender, of any race, from any social economic, you know, background. It's a crime that does not like discriminate in that one. Like the potential for someone to be trafficked is there. With that said, there are populations that are targeted by traffickers much more frequently. And traffickers are looking for people they identify as vulnerable. Um, these are usually, you know, people who don't have great social safety nets. They are looking for, for lack of a better term, low-hanging fruit. And so when you think about who that is in society, that is kids in the child welfare system. That's kids involved in the, the juvenile justice system. Um, and the same thing, you know, for adults. Um, they could be... What are some... Ex yeah, yeah, I was just going to ask you, some examples of adults who are also in that low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Uh, like that idea that that someone might have a vulnerability, which we've all had in our lives, but 
who can in particular be targeted by a trafficker? Yeah. When I think about adults, I think, you know, people who are instably housed, people who are looking to, you know, come into this country for new opportunities, people who are seeking new job opportunities, um, people who've been in the Department of Corrections, LGBTQ members, all of these people have so many like strengths. And so, you know, I just think it's important that like these are vulnerabilities, but not because of who these people are, but because of how society has, you know, structured itself um, and where, you know, we place our values in like in society as a whole. Yeah. You know, that's great because um, both for children and adults, it's so important for people not to turn their lens on that person and say, oh, um, because A, B, and C happened to that person. That's why they were trafficked, because they did, as you were saying, they did something. They did something. They made a bad choice, as opposed to saying, um, here are all the places where, whether it is, uh, you know, the social safety net, or whether it's somebody's special needs in school, or whether it's a health emergency that happened to a family, this is something that made something happened in that life where a trafficker targeted them and swooped in. Um, So they do that. And that's kind of debunking that myth that really traffickers are out there snatching people off the street, right? Yeah. Traffickers are really targeting people who have constrained choices. Like the choices that are available to them in life are, are abundant. You know, these people are trying to make the best out of really narrow and not great options. And so if a trafficker comes into their life and there's unmet needs and that trafficker is meeting some of those needs, is promising to meet other needs, then that person is trying to make the best choice for themselves. I have these unmet needs. This person is showing me evidence that they're going to meet those needs and I'm not going to have to suffer the same way that I have been suffering not knowing that they're, you know, being groomed or, you know, being coerced or manipulated um, into something that creates far greater suffering. And, you know, what you're making me uh, remember is when we were working on the uh, Youth and Caregiver Toolkit. So that's something that's on Stack's website. And um, there are a number of tools in that that are there to help youth talk to each other, youth talk to their parents, parents talk to their youth, you know, their children or any youth that's in their life. And when we were working on that, and you were just front and center at so many different (laughs) meetings, I know you can remember them when we were drafting that. And I really encourage everybody to go um, to our website. We'll put it in the show notes here, but um, surviveandthriveadvocacy.org and just look under educational resources and you'll see it. But Jamie, you You helped us understand this issue of unmet needs and how parents might say, what are you talking about? And we interviewed parents and we interviewed youth to create this. When they say, "Um, number one, I know where my child is all the time, so I know what they're doing and I know what they're doing online. Um, Some parents also said, I'm meeting my child's needs. They have a place to um, sleep. They have food. They, they're going to school. They have clothing. I'm meet, What unmet needs could a child possibly have that I'm not meeting? And you said 
you have no idea what your child's true unmet needs are something along those lines. Do you remember that? Yeah. I am I think adults and you know, I, I really picked this up in my um work and direct service with youth is Adults have a difficult time conceptualizing what it means to be a teenager and remembering how needs and wants are so convoluted in, you know, those teenage years. Being a youth in America is difficult. There's a lot going on. And this is a crazy time to be coming of age. And so, you know for kids who might have all their like basic physical needs, you know, that like bottom tier Maslow's hierarchy of needs, all of that's met, there might be creative and and expression needs that aren't being met. There might be feeling connected and loved and attached. You also think about childhood development stages. Teenagers are starting to like let go of those attachments with their parents and are forming much stronger bonds with their peers. So what would be an example that you can you can give us on on just that on what kind of an obscure uh, not obscure but up from the next level on Maslow's hierarchy um, that a child might have that a targeter might say, "Hmm, that's somebody that I can now target." Yeah. I mean, just imagine, you know, going to high school and I'll use um, a teenage, a teenage girl as an example. Um, You know, you're going to high school and you're getting bullied, you're getting picked on and you don't feel like you have a place in the world. You know, you go home and your parents are overworked. They're getting off work and, you know, it's six o'clock and they have all this other stuff to do too, you know, put food on the table Um, you know, whatever errands, and they're just not feeling seen. They're not feeling like cared for. They're going to school every day, and it's awful. They're posting about this stuff online, maybe a secret, you know, social media account, you know, maybe a parent's not actually staying up on that social media account as much as they think they are. And, you know, someone sweeps in and is, is there to listen. They have all the time in the world to listen to, you know, this girl's problems. He's like, well, you don't have to go to school anymore. You can just come spend your days with me. You'll just come over here in the morning instead of going to school. This is, you know, a made up scenario, but it's not far fetched. But, you know, instead of going to school every day, she's leaving school and, you know, going with him. And eventually that ends up in leading into a trafficking situation. But her unmet need was, connection and feeling seen. And I don't blame parents for that. It's, you know, this isn't about blaming parents, but it's about understanding that teenagers are way more complex than we give them credit for. Um, And they have a lot of uh, like social needs that we do and they're not necessarily fulfilled. And we'll be right back. Each year, the Survive and Thrive Advocacy Center recognizes the change makers and those who have helped fortify our community against sex and labor trafficking. We do this at our Imagine Freedom Gratitude event. This year, Stack will host Imagine Freedom 2024 on January 30th at the 621 Gallery in Railroad Square here in Tallahassee. 
Human trafficking survivors need your support now more than ever. You can empower survivors and help Stack to educate our community on how to recognize, report, and prevent trafficking. And the money raised at this event is a huge part of how together we can make that happen. Imagine Freedom 2024 also includes the unveiling of two murals, powerful and evocative artwork that will be part of the January 2024 Community-Wide Human Trafficking Prevention Month Observance. And here's what's unique. These murals are portable. They will be a highlight at this year's event, and then throughout 2024, Stack will take them across our region, where we provide services, especially to Wakulla, Franklin, Liberty, Gadsden, and Jefferson counties. Will you consider joining us in our mission to end human trafficking in our area? Information on event tickets and sponsorship opportunities are available at surviveandthriveadvocacy.org and at the link in this episode's show notes. You can empower survivors in our community by donating today, and we thank you. Now, back to the show. Yeah, so sex and labor trafficking, you know, fall under that umbrella term, human trafficking, and... Um, I think there, there are discrete like methods of labor and sex trafficking, and there's discrete like services that each of those people who survive that or are experiencing that like need from us as communities. But I think they're very interconnected, and there's a lot of overlap. And people who've experienced sex trafficking also experience labor exploitation. And people who've experienced labor trafficking also experience sexual exploitation quite frequently. Um, I think once someone is, you know, being trafficked, that trafficker isn't like saying like, here's this bucket, this is how you're going to make me money. And only this way, you know, they're going to try to capitalize on all the different ways that they can tap into making money from that, that person in sex trafficking. Um, what I hear a lot is this concept of forced criminality. So if someone's being sex trafficked, then they could also be forced to shoplift. They could also be forced to sell drugs. And that's a form of labor trafficking. It's illicit work, but that is that is labor that they're performing. Um, and then with labor trafficking, if someone's working in a restaurant or on a farm, you know, once they're done with work, there's this whole evening or this whole day where they're not working. And, you know, that's a time where they can be, you know, sexual, sexually exploited as well. So I think they're really interconnected. And while we should have specific, you know, services in place to help with the discrete issues that each of these populations face, I don't think it really helps to try to, to make them completely separate issues. Labor trafficking isn't, as known about as sex trafficking. And Why do you think that is? Yeah, let's talk about that for a little bit. I, I agree with you. And it's it's kind of a frustration. Just both both points that you're you're making, which is one, it happens simultaneously. But why do you think that is? I mean, what have you seen? Um, I know you've worked with a lot of survivor organizations. You're very you know, survivor centered, of course, in your work. Why do you think that happens? And how does it impact the person who that might be happening to now or later? Yeah. 
I think when you compare labor and sex trafficking, and when you think about the media, it's which one is more sensationalized, like, or can be, you know, clickbaity, you know, which one is gonna like increase the ratings is gonna like get the most views is gonna get the most shares. When you talk about like, what makes something like newsworthy or social media worthy, you know, sex is there, you know, that's somewhat why sex trafficking is more um, well known about. And then I also think sex trafficking lends itself more to people sharing narratives about like, quote unquote, the perfect victim. So, you know, Mm -hmm. the girl next door who like has great grades and is a cheerleader and then also she's kidnapped and, you know, forced and taken away. Where when you think about labor trafficking, you know, victims, these are sometimes people from other countries, you know, and um, there's a lot of, you know, bias and political beliefs where, well, you just shouldn't be in this country. Like, and if you get here illegally, or even if you didn't come illegally, then, you know, not really caring about the consequences of what happens you know, to that person, you know, going back Mm -hmm. to kind of victim blaming, um, Mm -hmm. or for, you know, child, you know, labor trafficking, you know, these are children who aren't growing up in great social economic environment, and they're, they're not well off. And so there's less care in our society, you know, for people um, coming from lower social economic backgrounds. I think it's easier to to dismiss those people and it's more likely that the media is going to highlight these perfect victim kind of stories. I think about all the missing and murdered indigenous women and all the black women who have are also have gone missing and murdered and how little the media, you know, gives to those cases. And then you think about, you know, the death of Gabby Petito you know, this thin, cute, blonde girl who, you know, got into a van with her boyfriend and they were traveling the country during the pandemic and she went missing. And that case was all over social media. It was all over local media. It was making national news, all these headlines. And that's good. All of that led to like them finding her van, them finding the remains, all of that. That's great attention. But if you look at who that girl was and her background and where she came from and what she looks like, there was all this attention. When people are going missing and stories like this are happening every day that don't get that attention. And those cases are unsolved. And there's families who are grieving and don't know where their loved ones are. It's it's just really about newsworthiness. And once again, what society says is valuable. And Gabby Petito was the quote unquote perfect victim. You know, she was innocent. There wasn't any of those, you know, should have parked your car on the other side of the street. Um, And people also, you know, there was an incident in Utah with law enforcement where law enforcement didn't act. You know, people have been critical of law enforcement in that case. And you don't, and you just don't see that. You just don't see that in other cases where people are looking for, in what way society has failed a person, you know, for me, I, when I look at an individual, whatever situation it it is that they're in, 
my brain and my mind is always looking for like at what points has society failed this individual? At what points could have there been interventions for this person? And what can we do now? Uh, and I think that's a critical way of like looking at someone and their story um, instead of thinking about what did this person do wrong? What mistakes did they make? And how do we teach them not to make these mistakes again? Because um, people aren't, naturally heading towards suffering and naturally heading towards things that are going to hurt them. The self-preservation is huge. People are trying to make decisions that they think are going to best serve them when they end up in these situations that are causing them so much harm. You know, we have to think about, well, where was the breakdown and where were the missed opportunities and where were the, where could a, society intervened. Yes, exactly. And what parts of society need reframing or reforming or reconsidering so that you see the person as a a full person of many different experiences and, and with many different things that went on in their life. Traffickers are more likely to know the people that they're trafficking um, rather than being strangers. And it may be that they haven't known this person for a long time, um, but they are, you know, meeting people, they're getting to know about them um, and they're going to start grooming them. So traffickers uh, rarely are just like kidnapping random people. You know, they're forming those connections, they're forming those bonds and they're looking to manipulate and coerce people into um, into trafficking. The other thing I, I want to kind of pick up a thread from something you were just saying, too, about um, labor trafficking in particular, that when you think about people who are labor trafficked, they are trafficked into work. And people are hiring them into work. Um, there are there are businesses. They could be agriculture. They could be landscaping, construction any kind of skilled or unskilled work, there are people hiring firms, maybe labor subcontractors, um, but themselves might be hiring people and they need to know about what trafficking looks like, don't they? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think these industries where, you know, getting paid under the table is commonplace um, and, you know, subcontractors, I, you know, you think about um, migrant farm workers. It used to be that people from, you know, Mexico were able to come into the United States and work on farms um, in the Southwest and then go back. There used to be this like freedom of movement between the two countries. And then some of the immigration policies, you know, changed that. And so now there's this, that illegal move, that, that movement hasn't changed. It's just become a legal movement. Um, now, and, you know, there's actually more of an incentive for people to stay instead of, you know, trying to cross the border illegally, um, multiple times. I want to look to your experience and working with survivors is I'm hearing more and more somebody not knowing that they are either being trafficked, uh, being groomed, or even when they're out of that situation, not knowing whether they have been trafficked, because it's so hard to identify when you're in it. 
if somebody out there is listening to this podcast now and says, I think that either is happening to me or has happened to me or to somebody that they know, um, what should they do? Yeah. I want to share this story about when the Save the Children campaign was really big. Um, you know, I had a friend and to, she's a survivor and to counter that narrative from Save the Children, she put her story out there and included pictures of herself from when she was being trafficked. And, you know, she posted it in one of these, you know, Save the Children Facebook groups. And the people in that group, absolutely, their behavior was disgusting. You know, they dismissed her story. They, you know, were upset that she was trying to counter this misinformation. Um and, you know, I, as a result of all of that, you know, there was an additional, you know, posting about misinformation and a person who was being exploited was like, oh my gosh, wow, I can't, you know, believe that's what trafficking looks like and didn't connect their own story with like the truth of trafficking. And so that's like the misinformation isn't benign. It's, it's harmful. Um, So just to break that down for a a minute. So someone was trying to correct the record essentially on this massive misinformation campaign that was going on. And she was put down. She was rejected. However that happened, it sounds horrible um, by the people who were talking about, child sex trafficking, right? Yeah. And she I mean, herself was a survivor yeah. of child sex trafficking. And the impact on her was, what 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 happened to her? I was managing that social media account, you know, for her. And her and I had discussed putting this out there. And um, she was all for it. And she knew that there was going to be backlash. And I don't think that she really understood like how big the backlash was, but like as a survivor to say, this is my experience and this is like the truth. And I work with survivors and this is what's really happening. And to have people who didn't know what trafficking was 2.2 seconds ago, you know, acting as if they're the experts and they're the ones who know, and they're the ones who are the truth holders. um, It was just emotionally, exhausting but she felt she needed to combat it because in her work with you know people who are being exploited she knows that people aren't connecting their lived experience of being trafficked like with with being trafficked and if you don't know what's happened to you then you can't get resources like you don't know like where to go for help um you don't even know that there's options to leave if you don't have the language to define your experience. And if other people are just telling you, oh, you're just a prostitute or just a hoe or like you're doing this to yourself, you're definitely having your trafficker tell you all of those things, right? Right, right. And then right, society right. is like reinforcing those things. And what hope, like, what hope is there to get out of that? Like what hope is there for you to gain a different perspective on your experience and be able to start a new life? Yes. And so what you said is just so powerful, Jamie. 
And here was somebody who was saying, no, that's not how it happens. This is how it happens. And this is how it happened to me. And they were saying, oh, no, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. First of all, that's infuriating to hear. And um, what courage she had in coming forward. So I'll just say that. The, the second part of this is society can be reinforcing exactly what the trafficker is telling that person because the trafficker does it because that person then, that person he is or she is trafficking will take the heat, will take the fall, will, will really um, internally believe that they are responsible, solely responsible. You are smart in this area of digital communication and you have some things that people should do when they are seeing something let's just narrow it say they're seeing something online about sex or labor trafficking and it is sensational or it does grab their attention what should they do how can they first of all not share it immediately and say oh my god oh my god they should like do a few things, right? Yeah. So if you see something online, um, especially on social media, but it could be a news article. Um, and the first thing you should do before you share it is read it or watch it, you know, take it in. Um, a lot of times things just have uh, a really catchy like headline and people share it without even looking into it. Guilty. Yeah. Guilty. Uh, right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I've done it too. Um, yeah. Okay. Read it. Watch yeah. the video. Yep. But it's also to, you know, if something is sensational and something immediately like draws on strong emotions, you need to take a step back and know that if something is really sensational or is immediately getting those like emotions drawn out of you, you have to like realize that's intentional. Um, you know, the people who are creating this content are trying to induce these feelings from you. And they're so, manipulating. Yeah. They're wanting to manipulate a reaction. And if you're getting that reaction, you might say, wait a minute, I'm being manipulated and I don't want to be manipulated. Right. And social media, like these platforms and whatever platform it is, what they want is for you to stay on their platform. And so these things that draw strong emotions keep you engaged for longer. Um, and so if something is making you feel that way, just pause, take a moment and just be aware of that. Know that the, the content that you're about to consume has been packaged in a way to keep you on the site for longer um, and to make it more likely for you to share it. It doesn't mean that the content in that is going to be wrong, but take a moment and just be aware and know that. And then you use critical thinking skills. You know, you want to look at it. What biases does this article or this like video have, you know, check sources. What credentials does this person have that's sharing this information? Um, or, you know, what news source is this? Is this a legitimate news source? You know, there's different tools to look at, like, what biases, you know, different media outlets have. You know, 
do a little bit of background. Are they citing, you know, research? I hear so many statistics about trafficking when in reality, like as a researcher, it's just impossible to know to know these things. You can research small populations, but to generalize that to the United States, you just you just can't. Um, mm-hmm. And so, when you're looking at statistics, are they taking, you know, for example, the average age of a trafficking victim is like 12 to 14? That's a nonsense. It's a nonsense statistic. Someone did a study. And the average age of that group, you know, was 13 or something, and it was maybe 20 people. So you can't take those 20 people and say they represent the United States. And so when you're seeing statistics, it's the same kind of thing. Is this information something that they can actually measure? And if you have a background in research, you know, there's a few different things you can check, but, you know, the average person isn't going to have that. But just also knowing, unless you're pulling quite a few people, that information isn't going to be generalizable to an entire, to mm-hmm. entire population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's really important. So just to just to think about now, if somebody listening to to us this this day, um, as they're listening to this podcast, says, "I think something's going on," and I. I I need to get help. What what should what's your advice? Yeah, there are so many stories out there about trafficking victims and survivors not identifying um, those experiences as trafficking until they hear something like a podcast like this, or they you know hear a story. You know, for me myself, it was difficult for me to identify until I heard other people's stories and heard them themselves identifying their experiences as trafficking. And so if you're hearing this today and you have something in your background or something that's currently going on and you're like, that kind of sounds like trafficking, then know that you can reach out, you know, for help. There are um, just so many resources available to victims and survivors of trafficking. And so many of them do come with a non-judgmental framework and like no strings attached, you know, help, help should be free and available. And there's a lot of organizations that offer that help, even if it's just, you know, information. Um, But if you're experiencing that or have had experienced that there's just hope there's a pathway out, um, And it might be difficult. I just know so many survivors who are living just rich and fulfilling lives that when they were being trafficked, it just seemed impossible. You know, it feels impossible that, you know, I've been planning this like international trip um, and that, you know, I'm going on my own. It's like so exciting. And so things that just felt so impossible to me, you know, 10 years ago are just, they're just my everyday. And to be quite honest, there's so much that I just take for granted. I'm not like oozing gratitude every moment. I like get annoyed, you know, with things as well. But, you know, when I take a moment to think about it, you know, my life is, you know, a dream compared to what it used to be for sure. But just even 
I just think a dream for for anybody, even someone who hasn't like experienced um, such harsh realities. Jamie, is there anything else you'd like to add that we didn't talk about today that that you think would be real helpful to um, to people who might be out there, whether they are being trafficked or have been, or whether they're just in the community who want want you just we just need to tell them something. Yeah, I think when you think about trafficking, it's it's a crime that happens in community. And if it's a crime that happens in community, then community has to be part of the solution. And so whatever your role is, professional or personal in the world, you have a you have a place in anti-trafficking work. And it doesn't have to be some grand gesture. It can be getting to know the people right around you, Um, you know, look up the, you know, um, youth and caregiver guide, learn how to talk about trafficking with youth in your life, with other caregivers, if you're a caregiver yourself, and, you know, have conversations with people. You know, if you're a business owner, hire someone who, you know, connect with an anti-trafficking organization and hire someone who needs a second chance because they have a criminal record due to their trafficking experience. Um, if you... Um, are an accountant help you know offer your services to um, you know survivors who are trying to do their taxes as you know consultants um, there's all sorts of ways that that you can help and you know whatever it is that you're good at um, you know whatever is, you know space or environment that you're occupying you can do something to help and it it doesn't have to be you know, you don't have to go and do street outreach, you know, and you don't have to like mentor, you know, someone, but be a good citizen and be a good citizen and connect with those around you. Absolutely. And um, thank you so much, Jamie. It was great to talk to you. Like, I know every time we speak, I feel like I want to I want to talk for another hour. I want to learn more from you. I want to understand more. Um, And I'm really grateful to the work we're doing together and for your presence today on this podcast. And I wish you happy trails on your next adventure and look forward to, to talking to you on the other side. Robin, it has been such a pleasure. I really appreciate you. I appreciate Stack. And I appreciate the people who have taken the time to, to listen to these words today and I hope that has taught you something new and given you some new insights. Thank you for listening. The Imagine Freedom Podcast is a production of the Survive and Thrive Advocacy Center, or STAC, a coordinator and service provider for survivors of human trafficking in the greater Tallahassee area of North Florida's Big Bend. STAC provides direct assistance to sex and labor trafficking survivors, regardless of age, immigration status, sex, gender identity, or faith affiliation. STAC also provides extensive education to many in the public and private sector on how to recognize, respond, and prevent all forms of human trafficking. STAC is a referral agency for the National Human Trafficking Hotline. The only way we can do this work is with your help. Go to surviveandthriveadvocacy.org 
for more information about the many programs and services Stack offers and to support Stack's work with your gift today. This podcast is recorded and produced at Fiore Communications in Tallahassee.